Welcome to The Honest Uproar, a podcast where modern, child-free women share their life stories and where we discuss important topics for the kid-free community. I'm Isabel, your host and founder and firebrand of The Uprising Spark, a digital platform that offers life coaching products and services for modern, independent, child-free women. Our aim is to build a strong female community and to connect empowered women around the globe. Nicola Lucy is a shamanic practitioner who specializes in shadow work for women. Hello, Nicola. And Hi, Isabel. Welcome, welcome to my show. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure to connect with you. It is a pleasure to have you here. Um, so I remember we had a conversation about sh- shadow work and, and what you do. Very briefly, you sent me a couple of links because I was very curious to know what it was to help women let go of the ghosts from their past to live, be, and relate with more freedom and a clear sense of personal power and inner confidence, which is what you do. Um, and I would really love it if you could just expand on that work and what led you to it. Okay, so um, shadow work is the art of being able to explore what is hidden in your psyche. And so obviously it was coined by Carl Jung and one of his most famous quotes is to make the unconscious conscious. And so basically, I, um, I help women through a nine-month process to really go into their own shadow. And so we create a safe space to be able to access their own shadow and to work through all of the suppressed emotions that actually lead them back to something that happened maybe in early childhood, maybe even in the womb, maybe even beyond that um, through the intergenerational line. And wounding trauma or conditioning that has actually hindered their ability to step into their personal power and their potential. And so this often uh, manifests in a lot of um, anxiety and stress, repetitive patterns, which are very unhealthy, and then also a lot of discomforting memories. And so we're kind of bringing all of that together so that underneath every kind of wound or trauma that they have um, been exposed to, lies a golden nugget of their power and their potential. So as they clear out everything that no longer serves them by seeing the patterns that have been created through that wounding and trauma, they're able then to really live their life from a, a clear sense of personal power and freedom because they have much more confidence to make the decisions they want to make and without being hindered by second guessing and shall I do this shall I do that and always that perception that actually keeps us locked in our cages so that's kind of shadow work in a nutshell yeah I I I really you know that's something that I'm really interested in like everything that has to do with working with the psyche and like you mentioned you know that quote from Carl Jung uh making the uh Making the unconscious conscious. Exactly. Making the, un- I love that because it's true. I think that um, I've done, I haven't done this kind of shadow work, but I have used other tools, tools that are holistic or tools that are more traditional. And I have found that when you, when you, you know, when you are conscious about something, it, that is when it's so easy to process it and then heal it. If that's what it takes, right. To be able to just move forward. Uh, exactly. So I love what you do. And um, there's something that caught my attention when you were talking about, like briefly describing what this is. And you said this process takes nine months. Yes, it takes nine months simply because I don't believe in a quick fix. 
And mm. there's lots of holistic practitioners out there that, you know, you can go and you can have a session with them and they'll sort you out. Um, but the way in which I work is really working with the cosmology of the womb. So obviously we are being held in the mother's womb for nine months in order, you know, then to be able to come out into the world. And it works along that same line is that, you know, we need to build a relationship because one of the most fundamental aspects of our personal power that is actually out of sync is our ability to trust. Um, we can often quite blindly trust other people rather than ourselves, And so to deepen into that relationship of trust, we need to really trust in our experience at every given moment. And whether that is going back to old memories or wounding or trauma, or even just in our emotions. And so what happens is that over the course of nine months, we do a total of 18 sessions and they kind of go in trimesters. And in the way in which and the kind of um, the soul work in which we are looking at is that each session will take us deeper into the next session and the next session and the next session. Because often we cannot get to those core wounds and traumas because we haven't got enough personal power or trust in the self to be able to uncover them. So it can be very unnerving. So we can go into a lot of fear and resistance. We don't want to jerk the system out of and into any kind of psychotic episode or anything like that. So we need to be gentle. And so even after the first session, what happens is that you, re you reclaim enough personal power that you then need to take you down to the next level and then the next level and then the next level. And so it keeps going like that until you have so much of your personal power, it just becomes second nature. And that's why it takes nine months. And plus on the back of it, we work with three very powerful homeopathic remedies. And these remedies are kind of evolutionary remedies. Um, but again, I don't tell the clients what these remedies are because I'm inviting them to take them blindly so that they can have a relationship with the remedies because these remedies will help them to let go of those deeper, stagnant, very stuck patterns within their own psyche. And so having a relationship with these remedies at certain points throughout that nine months will help them um, to trust in their experience and what the remedy is communicating to them. So it's basically, it's opening their understanding of their own psyche, but also opening their levels of consciousness into a completely different way, shape or form than what we originally believed that they were. And so that's kind of like why it's the nine months. It, it's a process and therefore it's a relationship and it's a very deep relationship, not just with me, but with themselves fundamentally. I completely understand. But yeah, it did actually caught my attention because of the whole, you know, the pregnancy last nine months. So I was like, there has to be some sort of connection. And you just answer my question. Um, because you did mention that it had, I mean, because it was, the, you work with the womb energy, was it that you said? Yes. Yeah, so basically coming back into the womb, you know, we've become so disconnected and especially as women and especially professional, a lot of professional women who I work with, we've actually become so disconnected from the body. We've come, become disconnected from um, our sense of self and also the way in which we feel and which we emote. And so what happens is, is that because we've been conditioned to consistently perform and conform to fit into everybody else's boxes, we've become disconnected from the self. So we can have that sense of fragmentation with our deep sense, uh, our deep soul. And so being able to kind of trust in that um, really builds that connection again, really being back 
back in the body? Who am I in this body with these emotions? And where am I apologizing or still trying to fit into somebody else's box? Um, and, and kind of sacrificing who I am um, to meet everybody else's needs. And this kind of goes back to, you know, one of the, the topic obviously we're talking about, which is um, child-free living. Um, but, you know, we've been conditioned into so many boxes that we kind of don't know what's right for us. And it can be very traumatic and challenging for us to actually fit into our own box. Yeah. Uh, wow. I completely agree with you. Um, and, you know, in the sense that there's just so much about trying to fit into other people's boxes or expectations that it's part of the root of what makes us unhappy or just unsatisfied in general. And I'm not only talking about women, I'm talking in general about people just in general, but I think women specifically, we have had to um, carry this weight of societal expectation for so long in, I think, more aspects than uh, men have. Um, so I, I think it's important work what you're doing. Yes, and it's also really fascinating because, you know, this way in which we've been conditioned to be um, you know, like, who are we as women? Who are we as mothers, whether we have children or not? And who are we as daughters? You know, when we start to look into the dynamics of these very complex patterns, we come back to this, um, what I like to call the shadow side of the mother. Because again, what we're doing is we're completely um, sacrificing the self over and over again to meet everybody else's needs and expectations and support everybody else. So we actually carry a lot of weight on our shoulders and we don't actually realize that we're carrying it consciously. We just keep going. And so sifting through all that, you know, like, who am I as a woman? Who am I as a mother? You know, I don't have children, but I am still a mother. And how does that kind of then fit in with societal expectations and norms? And kind of how do I own that within myself? And then, of course, you know, we are I am a daughter. We are all daughters or sons of a mother. And but how does that kind of fit into it? And so the shadow side of the mother is continu continuously there. It's on an individual level, but also on a collective level. And the more that we can come back into harmony with who we are as a woman and as a mother and as a daughter, we can then see how we can then bring that about in our communities and in our own families even on a collective level. So it's really quite powerful. It's beautiful work. I love it. Wow. And how did you get into it? What What is it that uh, attracted you to do this kind of work? Well, I guess I wasn't, well, I think I've always been attracted to it, but it goes back to my own birth story. You know, so I was born in the north of um, the northwest of England, very cold place called Lancashire. And my birth mother was 19 when she had me. And that was in the 70s, you know, so there was still a lot of stigma attached um, to unmarried mothers. And anyway, when I was two years old, she decided to give me up for adoption. And basically her mother, which is my maternal grandmother, stepped in and fought, went to court and, you know, got legal custody of me because she obviously didn't want me to go into care. And um, as I was growing up, you know, from a very early age, I realized that it was different because here I am, this um, very dark skinned girl um, growing up in a very white family. And, you know, with my parents who were actually my grandparents. So there was already this distinction, you know, I'm very, very different. So kind of where do I fit in? How do I fit into this family, into this environment? 
And this difference kind of led me through my life. And when I got older, I must have been about seven or eight, but my grandmother, um, my mother, she told me, you know, she explained to me that, you know, um, who my biological mother was and et cetera, et cetera. And it was okay for me to know that. Um, but again, I started to see the world in a very different way. And then obviously, as I got older and I went into, you know, going into um, menstruation and I started to bleed and then obviously everything kind of comes up to the surface, everything comes bubbling up. And I really started then to kind of ask myself, well, wait a second, who am I, you know, between these two women, you know, a woman who um, has, who wanted a life without me and this woman, uh, this other woman who was ready to give up her life to support me. And that kind of then informed my own story around um, set my own sexual energy, my own sexual health, my relationship with sexuality, and also my own relationship with motherhood. And the more that I kind of went into this, you know, I, I did a degree in psychology and women's studies. And again, I was going into that degree trying to find answers and of course in acad academia there was just no answers there was nothing really female orientated that I was looking for that really spoke to me that wasn't out of a textbook and then kind of fast forward um, a number of years and then I started to open up to kind of like the holistic path um, but that was after going through a bit of a trauma um, that kind of set the, mo the wheels in motion and it was through going through this trauma again around motherhood. Um, I, I went through this trauma and it, it was from then I started to experience my own emotions very, very differently. I, start, I was introduced to the work of Clarissa Pincola Estes, which was a book that I think every young girl should read the moment that they start to bleed. And then I started, you know, I went to Vipassana and then I started with the shamanic path and the shamanic path just completely opened me up to all these different questions in which I was able to answer these questions from a very deep understanding of myself, um, looking be beyond the worlds and the guides, the, the teachers that I was working with beyond the veil kind of thing. And I just had a natural talent for shadow work. And it just opened for me because I realized that I've always seen my life in patterns. I've always been the person that's always been sat quietly, you know, not really talking. And I would just always observe because I was fascinated by, you know, the, the decisions and that people would make and the consequences that those decisions would have on everybody else around them. And so I was just always fascinated and it just opened up more and more and more. And then obviously the shadow work for women process was born and this is now my work and my, my life, I guess, my life's work. So it's beautiful. Yeah, it's just fascinating how it opened up. So it's almost as if it came to me, it was already inside of me, but it needed to be opened as and when I was ready to open the box. And I did so with, um, with a lot of pain. <laughs> I can but imagine. also a lot of fulfillment on the other side. Yeah, those processes are painful, man. Oh, um, and and I, I I think you know there's a lot of people who who maybe don't believe in holistic approaches, but they don't even want to go to do the traditional thing either. And I'm always wondering because I know a few people like that, and it's totally I totally respect that. I mean, but I always wonder. Um, 
what is it that makes people, you know, very untrustful of, of processes that will open up their unconscious mind, to put it in a way? Yes, and it's a question that obviously I've asked many times, and I've seen it, you know, I've seen it in my own family, in my own network. And what I've come to understand through my own process and also working with all of my wonderful clients is that the one thing we're actually afraid of is not the fear and it's not the wounding and the trauma and the pain. It's actually our potential. We're so afraid of our power and our potential because when we start tapping into it, it's so unknown to us, even though it's deeply known, it's completely unknown. And so we have to have a certain level of trust in the self to be able to step into the unknown and into those kind of magical realms, because that is where the magic always happens the moment we step out of our comfort zone. And it's that that actually keeps us from wanting to step into all of these different practices or, or find out more about the self, even if we're just tapping the surface. And, and it's okay, you know, if some people are ready, you know, like some people, some people that come to me, they're not ready to do that work. They're not ready to go as deep as I'm going to take them. And that's absolutely fine. That's their experience and that's their choice. And so it's also about learning to accept, you know, where people are at at any given moment and that I'm just here doing whatever it is I need to do. And I'm, when, when they're ready, I'll be ready. And that's okay. That's okay. Absolutely. And who are the kind of clients that come to you? Do you have, um, there's, is there like a, 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 have you seen a pattern, for example, in the kind of clients that you serve or is it any, any type of women? Um, well, I mainly I serve professional women. Um, so there'll be women, there'll be, there's actually, it's actually quite interesting because um, I'll have professional women who are coming to me from male orientated organizations and companies, which is really quite fascinating how, how they go through the process and how they evolve also not just in their personal life, but in their professional life in that male orientated um, kind of organization and then female entrepreneurs. Um, so these are, you know, the two very different types of women, but the, the basis is always the same. They want to know who they are as women. And they've always arrived at a crossroads. And I think that that's, I mean, that's the one thing that keeps coming up over and over again is that they, shadow work has come up on their radar. They've Googled shadow work and I come up on the first page and it, they read my website. Something about it speaks to them. And especially when I talk about my journey, about understanding kind of who I am as a woman. And it's from that moment that they just realize they too are at that crossroads and they really can't continue in the way in which they were, they were going along in their life. And they know that they need to change and they are not afraid of taking that decision and stepping into the work. And that's it. It's very, it's very quick. The process is actually very quick because they know what they want. They're ready to invest um, in themselves. They're ready to do the work and they just sign up and here we go. Nine month journey. And it's profound what they experience even after the first session. So they really, the women that I do work with, they always know what they want and they're not afraid of making those types of decisions. You know, they're not afraid of stepping into um, holistic therapy or even therapy. You know, a lot of my clients have been in therapy and even some of my clients still go to therapy while doing the nine month process because it actually complements um, both works. 
Um, so yes, it's fascinating how they all arrive and what industry they're in. You're listening to The Honest Uproar, a podcast where modern, child-free women share their life stories and where we discuss important topics for the kid-free community. Right, let's switch gears a little bit. I would really like to talk to you about your decision to embrace a child-free lifestyle. I want to know where it came from. How did you make that decision? Uh, and I know that because you mentioned this in one of your emails, um, I think that there's something about your story that you just told us about being adopted that had incidents in it. So really like, uh, I would like to know more about that. Okay, so yes, obviously, you know, our, our early childhood story does inform a lot of our life and our relationships. And, you know, I knew from a very young age that I did not want children. I was adamant about it. I was so adamant. It was kind of like, it was just, it was just a non, it was not up, even up for discussion. And I remember when I had my first um, kind of serious relationship at the age of 14 and I lost my virginity, the moment, you know, that I crossed that line and I'd gone through that rite of passage, I came home and I went to the, I went straight away to the doctor's surgery and I went on the pill, uh, much to my mother, my grandmother's kind of <laughs> uh, chagrin because she was furious. She was absolutely furious at me that I'd made this decision, but I was adamant with her. I said, you know, mom, I don't want to get pregnant. I am sexually active and this is my decision. And that kind of set me up. It set me going forward and embracing my sexual nature and, and moving forward in a way which felt kind of mature. But then obviously as the years kind of pass from that, um, as been as a lot of women who experienced this, I had lots of issues with the contraceptive pill. Um, I was always ill, you know, from... Uh, vaginal um, from candida to thrush to um, then I was having lots of um, kidney infections and then I would take the antibiotics which, which would then cancel out the pill and it was continuous and all this messing around with my hormones and I didn't understand then what I know now um, but it, obviously it was my moment it was my time of experimentation which would then go on to um, um, kind of inform the rest of my journey And what happened was at 19, I got pregnant. And this was such a shock to me. It was, it absolutely devastated me. And it was kind of like, wow, this is history repeating itself. And I could see the pattern. And it was so powerful for me. It, even though I kind of didn't really know the shamanic path or anything like that then, but I could see the pattern and I knew that history was, was repeating itself. And I knew intuitively that if I decided to have this baby, then it would continue to repeat itself. And so I made the decision to terminate. And so I had a termination. And, you know, it was the best decision that I ever made. And obviously there was some emotional repercussions from that. It was very, very challenging for me, but I did it consciously and I knew what I was doing. And And, and again, it made sense. It really did make sense because I really wanted to break the pattern. I didn't want to bring any more children into this world who were not wanted. And I didn't want to want the child and then not want it a few years later. So there was always kind of that question and, and it was fine. Um, so I had the termination. 
But then between 19 and 22, I got pregnant another two times. And again, it was just this constant, it was kind of like I was just this fertility magnet. And it was, you know, everything was just going, kind of going crazy. And it was like, what the hell is going on with me? Um, but again, I chose to terminate. So by the time I was 22, I already have had three terminations and I just couldn't take it. It was, it was kind of like it was too much. You know, I really knew that this was not an option. I couldn't keep going down this path. I needed to sort myself out. Um, and then it wasn't long after my third termination that I met my current partner, um, Michaela, who I've been with since then. So we've been together more than 20 years. And that then obviously became my, my long-standing relationship. And, but we've not got married. You know, so marriage for me was a bit like also not having children. Um, I didn't want to get married. I didn't believe in the sanctity or the, the vows of kind of marriage in that kind of sense. And so, you know, we decided, obviously, we weren't going to get married. And children kind of, it was kind of there, but it was not really important because um, he had already had two boys from, from his previous marriage. And, and it was interesting. So, you know, he brought me to Italy. I kind of found my life here in Italy. I, I blossomed in Italy from this girl from the northwest of England suddenly being, uh, being finding herself in the Mediterranean and this land just really spoke to me and and so that then began another story when I was 32 in, um, so that's like 13 14 years ago I got pregnant again and it was so heartbreaking for me because part of me in that moment really wanted to have the child I, I I just wanted to have this child, but I was so scared and I was so um, traumatized really of giving up that child. I was so afraid of that happening and, or afraid of, you know, something happening to my partner and then me having to bring the child up alone. And anyway, there was something in me that just could not say yes. I was not able to say yes to what I wanted. And so I went ahead with the termination and, and it broke me. It absolutely shattered me into a million pieces. And not long after, maybe a couple of months after, you know, this was one of the termination. I, I just grieved. I was in so much grief. And as a result of that, um, I developed um, premenstrual dysphoric disorder, which is PMDD, which is a very um, dire kind of um, an extreme form of PMT. And I just lost my mind, you know, for t t uh, 10 to 14 days of every cycle, you know, there, there would be a lot of depression, um, suicidal thoughts, um, really hanging on to the edge of my sanity and um, because this is the nature of the syndrome it is um, where you literally walk the thin line of sanity and insanity for 10 to 14 days of your cycle and after a, a number of months you know I went to the doctors and you know because I couldn't cope anymore I was I was afraid and um, you know the the, the treatment uh, was either hormone replacement therapy or it was the pill. And again, I was, I, I can't go down that route. Look what happened last time I went down that route, you know, and me and my partner had found a way to kind of navigate um, 
navigate our sexual relationship without having um, um, the contraceptive pill or anything else. And so we've done really well, you know, for the best part of 10 years. And then here we go. Um, but then I, I knew that I didn't want to go down that route. I didn't want to go down and start messing with my hormones again in that way. I wanted to maintain control over my body. And so then it began a, a really deep, a really in-depth uh, process of healing. Um, so what I did was really, I started to track every single day, three times a day, how I was feeling. And then I would do some research and look at um, kind of like holistic therapies, um, you know, to kind of help me balance um, my hormones. And so like evening primrose oil, starflower star oil, I would take valerian for the depression, you know, when that really hit. And really just tracking every single day my emotions, being fully present with my emotions. And literally after about six months, I started to come out of this cloud and I started to find my balance again. And it was not long after that, that I went to do a Vipassana meditation for 10 days where you sit in silence. And it was such a powerful experience because in that moment, so I'd managed to kind of heal myself through the PMDD. And in that moment, as I'm deep in meditation um, in, with, with Vipassana, I had the most extraordinary experience where the, the last termination that I'd had with my partner that I was not able to say yes to, she came to visit me. So here is the embodiment, the spiritual kind of embodiment of my daughter meeting me in meditation. And the lessons that I learned from her were just so powerful. It just opened my heart. It was, it, it just broke me, but broke me open in such a way that I could never have expected. And that's when I really started to understand the level of the soul and really going into that and seeing, okay, well, obviously, you know, if, if my unborn um, or would have been born um, child, I'm able to meet them beyond the veil kind of thing, then kind of what does this, what does this say about us? You know, what does this say about me as a woman? What does it say about me as a mother? And why was I not able to honor and listen to my own needs and say yes when I wanted to say yes? and say no when I wanted to say no. And that's when the shamanic path opened up and kind of like the rest is history. So yeah, that's the story around being child-free. Wow. Well, that is a fascinating story and I have so many questions. Um, I want to just uh, go back a little bit in time. So you mentioned that you um, you got you started taking the pill when you were fourteen. If I'm yes, okay, and you and you had and your first pregnancy was when you were nineteen. Yes, um, and you were taking the pill at the time. Yes. <laughs> so that was like, oh my god. Okay, I uh, took the pill, and but I think it's one of those with the pill is that because I was always ill and having antibiotics because I had a, a few problems with my kidneys. I was always taking antibiotics and things which would then interrupt the pill, even though you were taking them regularly. And then I would be sick and then the doctor would change my pill. So it was, it, there was never consistency in what pill I was taking because there was always something wrong or something interfering with it. So it was only natural 
that of course you know if you're going to interfere with with your hormone cycle in the first place with something which is going to suppress your reproductive cycle then obviously if you're going to interfere with that cycle on top of it then something is going to go wrong yeah that makes sense (laughs) (laughs) yeah that too but that makes sense i mean because i know that um you know using the pill as contraception uh it's very rare to i mean if if, it, if it's uninterrupted if you've been doing it for so, several years now if it's the same belief you don't have any underlying um health issues or anything like that it's very rare to to become pregnant because you actually did three times between the ages yeah. of 19 and 22 um and i want to ask you know about the terminations of the pregnancies uh was it a difficult decision for you I guess it wasn't. No, it was, it was a very straightforward decision. I don't want to have children and therefore I'm going to terminate. Um, it was more the build up to it. So it was actually, you know, when you're actually going into the clinic and dealing with, with that, I think that that's when it really started to hit home exactly what I was doing. And that was painful. And then obviously, um, you know, the first time was, um, you know, that was a a kind of, that was a traumatic event. But then the other two, I I think I kind of numbed myself out to the after effects. And so I would, what I did was that I I suppressed it, you know, I suppressed grieving for what I'd, what I'd just done. And then obviously, um, as we know, that just builds up and builds up and builds up and it stays in the unconscious until another event happens. It was only, it was only natural that I was going to manifest it a fourth, a fourth time. And then obviously that broke me in two. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and you know, when you, in the first three, when you were younger, what did your partner, like, were they involved in this decision or did you just uh, not include them into this decision? No, they were involved. The first two were, um, the third one wasn't. Um, the first two were, um, the first one was very um, supportive. Um, he was just, yeah, okay, let's do this. It's going to be okay. It's not the end of the world. And it was okay. The second one was kind of like, okay, well, here's the money, just get on with it. And that was kind wow. of a shock. Yeah, um, that was kind of a shock because then later on down the line, he actually asked me for the money back. What? <laughs> Which, it was really bizarre. I mean, that whole story was just really, really bizarre. <laughs> and and so I borrowed the money. You know, I asked him for the money because I wanted to go to a private clinic. I didn't want to go through the NHS. And and he gave me the money, and then he asked for it back. And I was, I, that, I mean, that's a whole other story wow. about looking at the power dynamics. And you know, it's it's really quite fascinating. And then the third one, I just kind of completely left out of the decision. It was my decision. It was my body, and you know, I, I wasn't even in a, a long-term relationship with him and it was okay and it was okay to make that decision and it, it, it felt right yeah um, and then the fourth time you know with my partner and you know we're still together and and but it was the right it it was the right decision it might not have been the right it, let me just explain it. it it was the right decision even though I went through with it because I learned so much on the back of it. And he was supportive of me. You know, he did say, if you want to have the child, Nicole, you know, of course, I'm going to support you. I'm going to be with you. And, you know, because that is the basis of our love and the basis of our relationship. And there's so much trust between us, but it, it, 
was it was the wrong decision for me because I was not able to say yes but at the same time it was the, it's the right decision in the long run because now I cannot even imagine myself with a child let alone four <laughs> yeah I was gonna say you could be a mother of four by this time exactly and my eldest child would be in the in the 20s now wow. um, And Matilda, because obviously, you know, when we do go into working with our spirit babies, uh, whether that is through termination or through miscarriage or through stillbirth or whatever kind of dynamic has brought, um, brought that child around, when we work with our spirit babies, they're very, very powerful because they have something to teach us. And so, again, learning what, the, what it means to be a mother by connecting with these aspects that we have carried in our womb you know they've come through our eggs you know they they've been there all of this time and they were just waiting for that precise moment to become known and it's very it's a very powerful healing process actually and so yes yeah, so my last um termination would have been matilda she would be approaching 14 now and so i could not imagine myself with a 14 year old daughter <laughs> Yeah. Uh, wow. Well, this has, I mean, this story is just uh, very unique and also it's very inspiring um, in many ways. I think that I was actually having a conversation not long ago in, uh, in Clubhouse. There's a, a child-free club that I co-founded with other two people and somebody, and it was a, a man, but he said, oh, um, something like he knew that for every woman, it was a hard decision to make, you know, getting an abortion. Um, and I remember thinking, I have spoken to a few women who have had no issue on making that decision, especially if you know you don't want to have children. So we can't make that blanket statement, basically. Um, exactly. I'm not saying that it's a walk in the park, because it shouldn't be a walk in the park either. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, I mean, I think that, grieving something is different um it's like for example when people grieve when they embrace a child-free lifestyle and I say this because it happened to me uh, and I know people who have gone through the same thing it's like I I choose to be child-free and I'm so happy with my decision but at the same time there's a part of me that is grieving the life that will never be you know the life that people have wanted for me my parents or my peers my friends you name it Um, and, and it's not that it's not the same kind of grief that you feel when you lose someone. It's a different kind of grief because this is your decision, but it's okay to grieve. It's okay to feel, um, you know, that, that, that little hole in your soul that kind of makes you go, oh, ooh, that hurts a little bit. But then if you're making the right decision for yourself, for what makes you happy, That I think that's all that counts, especially if you're not actually hurting anybody else in the process. Exactly. And, you know, when we make those decisions, they do they don't come lightly. I, I made them I made them with a very clear head and I knew what I was doing. It was only now, um, you know, so this whole journey of me actually healing this mother wound within me has been, you know, a good nine years. It's not something that we can when we look at it from that kind of wounding and trauma, kind of um, the complexities of that, because we are grieving, you know, because we want to be given the opportunity to be a mother, but then not necessarily to be a mother to children. 
So how does that affect us? Because, you know, when we start to do inner work, for example, and especially the way in which I work with my clients, it's about learning how to harness the inner mother and allowing her to come forward and understand how she mothers others, um, often at the detriment to herself. But then how when we bring that imbalance that the, the inner mother is so powerful. So we can actually be mothers without having any children. And I think that this is one of the greatest um, kind of taboo subjects of society is that you cannot be a mother if you do not have children. And I think that, okay, there is the, the physical implications of that, you know, because when we do have children, you know, that it, it creates a whole new identity for us. But there is also the possibility for us not to have children, to still be a mother. And I think that that's one of the, it's like a very challenging um, kind of crossroads that we can, we can explore within the self. But how do we judge ourselves for being child free and the decisions that we make? Because also a mother, you know, is not meant to cause harm to her children. And yet we see many mothers around the world, um, you know, making decisions that do cause harm to their children. And so when we actually embrace this aspect of the self is that the mother, the, 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 the true mother in the self is able to make decisions of life and death. And so even like when we look back through um, kind of like mythology and, you know, even just looking at um, like the ancient goddess of Kalima, for example, you know, the mother symbol is the creator of life and the creator of death. They know what is right at any given moment. And so when we tap into that power as the destroyer in that sense, it becomes so powerful that we can learn how to harness it to actually tap into more of our potential. And it opens up a completely different um, spectrum of understanding about what it means to be a mother. Because also I think in society, we do see a lot of women who may have children and they actually really didn't want children. And, but they yeah. weren't able to make that decision. And we can see that over and over again in the relationships that they do have with their children and the fractured the relationships and the wounding and the trauma that comes in with that. Absolutely. And I mean, I know for me personally, you know, I, I've spent the majority of my life always looking at people, at women and asking how the hell did they make the decision to have a child? I, 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 that's something that I cannot comprehend it's like I've never been able to make that decision for myself only when it was too late. But then, like even now, there is still that underlying fear of, okay, I'm in my late 40s now, there probably won't be much chance of me getting pregnant. But there is still that thought of, oh, what if I do get pregnant? I don't want to have to make that decision again because I don't know how, how to say, I don't even know how to make the decision to say, yes, I want this child. Because for me, that was just like, wow, I, I don't get that. I don't understand it. And that does that make me any less of a woman or a mother because I don't understand how that happens, even though lots of women do make that decision and they're happy with it and they go through their childbirth and they have amazing children and relationships with their children. And so while some women that do have children cannot understand um, uh, like, um, how you can choose to terminate a child, I can't understand the opposite. You know, how do you choose to have a child? So it's a very complex, um, a range of polarities. 
and which opens up a huge Pandora's box that once we learn how to go into it and just navigate it, can come up with so much richness and vitality for our journey forward. So much understanding. I love all of that. Um, And on that note, uh, I want to thank you again for being here because this was a very interesting conversation. Uh, This is the kind of topics that I thrive on. I love (laughs) talking about things like this. Um, It was, it was really, really good to have you. Thanks again, Nicola. Before I let you go, is there anything else you would like to add to your interview? Anything you want to tell my audience and it can be anything at all? Well, trust in your experience, really trust in your experience, get to know who you are as a woman, as a mother, and as a daughter. Don't be afraid of going into the very depths of your psyche, because you will be surprised at what you find there. (laughs) Thank you so much. And to my audience, firecrackers, as always, I will leave you in the description of this episode, uh, Nicholas contact information. So I'm gonna leave you her website, uh, social media handles, in case you want to contact her and uh, maybe go through a whole process of shamanic shadow work uh, if it's something that is interesting for you. Uh, Thanks again, Nicola. It's been a pleasure to have you here. It's been a pleasure, Isabel. Thank you so much. And yes, if they want to book a free consultation with me, they're more than welcome to. It's on the website. Perfect. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to The Honest Uproar a podcast where modern, child-free women share their life stories and where we discuss important topics for the kid-free community. We hope you tune in next week for our newest episode. And since we love hanging out with you, please be sure to follow us on social media at The Honest Uproar and visit our website at thehonestuproar.com. If you like what you heard, feel free to share with your fierce, child-free firecracker friends. Until next time, continue fueling your inner fire.